All right, welcome in. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Wherever you are, if you're listening in your car, your house, we welcome you into the show today. Uh, Today we have a great topic. We're going to be talking about how to review your investment accounts and have a better idea of where they're actually at right now. Uh, We know that accounts are at all-time highs, so how do you do an actual review of your account and get a better perspective on what you should be looking for inside that account? Uh, but as we get this kicked off, I'm here with Matthew Thiel, Certified Financial Planner, Joshua Winterswike, Certified Financial Planner, I'm Brent Pasqua, host and founder of RPA Wealth Management. Are you guys ready for the NFL season to kick off? Yeah, it's, it's here, huh? It's already September. I can't believe that the summer's over. Um, you know, Labor Day's passed us by now, and, and it's football season. Um, you know, I always love the first few weeks of football, and then my excitement slowly wanes. This year, I feel like with with the kid that I'll, you know, being a new dad, that I'll have to make a trade-off, and I'd probably rather spend four hours on the golf course than four hours watching football. So I expect my football watching to be pretty light this year. So if you had an open four hours, you're going to pick playing golf versus sitting around watching the game? Yes, I would. I, I kind of agree with you just because I'm, I'm loving the golf this summer, um, like we've been talking about for a while. But I'm also, not to get off track, I'm excited for the NFL season. Always enjoy the NFL season. I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan, if I haven't mentioned that before. So I love watching the Dolphins play. So really looking forward to it. They're actually got a, a pretty good team that they're trotting out there this year. So excited to see what they do. Um, and it's always just nice to have football on or football back. You know, the Thursday night, the Sunday, the Monday night football, um, it's just nice to, to, to watch it. That's I really where, enjoy it. That's where the action's at because you, you there's going to be a game on almost every night now. So you, you shouldn't be bored in the evening. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the nice part about it. And I like that they have the Thursday night. I think it even starts from week one, right? And that's not changing. So I'm looking forward to it. What about you, Brent? Are you excited for the NFL season? You know what makes me the most excited is just it means falls around the corner, holiday season starting. You get to have the game on the background. It's it's the time to be have extra time with your family. So I think that kind of kicks off the whole holiday season. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree. It's a good time of year. Like a poor time of year is probably like February through like call it April, and you kind of get pumped up for summer. And then July through August are kind of boring. Is it because it's tax season or? You know, I didn't think of that, but I, I just feel like by like the spring, everyone's like, oh, I kind of want the warm weather, the pool yeah, weather. Yeah. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's cold, you know, a little rainy. I mean, I enjoy fall too, so that's a good point, Brent. Kicking off fall. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the hot take headlines. Uh, Amazon plans to open several large physical retail locations in the U.S. that will operate akin to department stores. A plan to launch large stores will mark a new expansion for the online shopping pioneer into a bricks-and-mortar retail. And Amazon, um, which has long disrupted these retail stores, I mean, what's actually taking place here? This is, this is kind of an interesting story. So Amazon basically put all of these big box retailers like nearly out of business, right? And now they're like, okay, we're going to come in and we're, we're going to buy these department stores that are empty and then we're going to set up, you know, big physical stores in them where you can come get your Amazon goods. <laughs> we put you out of business. It came full circle and now we're going to bring it back. Wow. Good, good strategy. That's next level right there. Do you think he had that, Jeff Be- Bezos had that vision originally? I'm sure he did. Or maybe he picked it up on his spaceship and he's like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's where he came to it. He saw all the empty department yeah. stores at these malls. So what does he plan to do here? Is he actually going to support department stores or is he actually going to operate fully in department, uh, these locations? It sounds like they're operating, like, you know, where the Macy's is out of business or the JCPenney's out of business or the Sears is out of business. 
sounds like he's going to either buy or lease that building, put an Amazon sign on it, and you're going to be able to go walk in and buy goods. Yeah, and I wonder how that would happen. And I'm sure there's already a design for it, like how it like kind of correlates with like their online shopping. I would, I would assume that they kind of relate in some kind of capacity. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I, I've been in their bookstores and they're pretty cool. Um, they have them at some of the, the malls around um, the Southern California region. But it's it seems the plan I read, it looks like Southern California is going to get one of the first ones of these uh, big box Amazons. And they're going to sell a lot of their Amazon basic lines is what it sounds like. Yeah, so they're going to feature their own brands. That's, that's a good idea. That makes sense. Now, so. are they going like where a Walmart or a Kmart or a JCPenney used to be? Or are they going straight to the malls? Um, I think it's more kind of in, in the malls, but like, you know how we have that big Sears that's out of business here in the Rancho Cucamonga area? Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's, you know, something like that. Uh, they go in a, you know, strip center. And I know that they're not going to be as big as some of those old school department stores. That's what the, they've, they've mentioned is they'll be bigger um, stores, but not as big as like that traditional big box retailer like before. Did they say if you're allowed to bring returns there? I don't know that. That would be that would be good though. That would be a really nice feature. It, it actually probably save them a lot on return costs. Because mm-hmm. I think they return at Kohl's too, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, they do have uh, return stations at Kohl's. Yeah, and yep. I think they are teaming up with Kohl's because I heard them on CNBC talking about that. So crazy story though. Full circle. <laughs> but a lot of the the bookstores, a lot of businesses, and now we're gonna open up physical shops. Yep. All right, so let's get into the next one. So according to Fidelity, the number of 401k plans with balances of at least $1 million at Fidelity grew 84% year over year to 412000 while the number of seven-figure IRAs jumped more than 64% to 341000 in the 12 months that ended in the second quarter. Seems like markets are at all-time highs. People have more money in their back pocket. People have been contributing because they have more money. Is that what's all leading to this, and how is this happening? Yeah, I think it's the stock market. I think it's contributions, um, but also just you know, shout out, congratulations to all the people who are becoming four hundred one k millionaires. Because when they switched the retirement system around in in the late late seventies and eighties, you know, and created the four hundred one k, and companies put the onus on you to save. I mean, you had to do it yourself, and you know, saving a million dollars is a big accomplishment. Saving two million is a bigger accomplishment. And we're seeing a lot of people who are now what we call 401k millionaires. I think it's just a really positive headline. Like, you know, like you had mentioned, Matt, that shift from the employer sponsored plans that they were taking all of the the risk and now putting it on the employees to save inside of their IRAs and 401ks. A positive headline to see that that's people have taken that seriously, taken their future seriously. And we're seeing more and more people become these 401k millionaires and putting themselves and families and future generations in a you know better financial situation. So you know that headline didn't have to be as positive, and that would be you know worse for retirees in America you know going forward. So um, some positive news. The best part is if you're one of these 401k you know millionaires, or you're one of the ones that you know can get up to the three, four, five million dollar mark, which there are people who do that in their 401ks or IRAs. Um, if you don't spend it all in retirement, you know, you pass away too soon, then that's a big chunk of inheritance that now your family has. So you're creating this generational wealth. So I, I do think now that we look at this, you know, 25, 30 years after it happened, the switch of you getting to control your own retirement is, is a win. Yeah, absolutely. And then also just the power of investing in, in compounding interest. 
Like this is also happening not only just because we're saving, but having the trust to put that money away, have it invested and grow. It's really, you know, it's showing us the power of that tool. To get to these numbers isn't like just a simple thing about contributing. I mean, there's a lot of factors that lead to accounts getting to this size. I mean, you've got to contribute. You've got to know what you're contributing to. You know, got to know when to contribute more. I mean, there's a lot of factors I think it takes to really get to these levels and these numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And including even discipline to continue. One thing that I think is sort of an understatement in all that, though, is, is how much of the power of sequence and timing in the market has led up to this. Because the decade that we saw from 2001 to 2011, that, was the, that market was completely different than what we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, we, ha- we have the stat in the podcast, but over the last 10 years, I think the S&P 500 is up 365% or something like that. Um, I mean, we're going to mention it in a few minutes, but this is wild. I mean, you think about people contributing in 08, in 01, in 04, you dollar cost averaging, putting money into those accounts during those years and, and go through a very stru- a tough decade and then go through this next decade where all that money you put in at lower prices now just took off like a rocket ship. And skyrocketed. And you can see just how important you know, t- understanding your time horizon is. But then also the rewards of being long-term investors, right? You got through maybe a, a lower yielding period, and now you're reaping the benefits of a higher yielding period. So staying disciplined and being that long-term investor has really helped. All right. Well, let's get into the retirement planning corner. Uh, the stock market, as you know, let's say measured by the S&P 500, has been on a tremendous run over the last three years. There's so many people who are just excited about really where their account values are at. Uh, we thought it would be a good idea to discuss really, you know, based on reviewing your current investments and how to actually know what they're doing, what to look for, how to make adjustments to them, when you should make adjustments to them, how to look at risk. So we're going to talk about some of those factors when we're looking at our investment accounts and what we should be looking for. Um, what is the first thing you should consider when we're reviewing your investments? So, Yeah, so there's two different things I would think about when, when you're looking to go invest and you want to review your investments. The first is like, what are your goals? Are you saving for retirement? Are you about to retire? Are you saving to buy a house? Are you saving for a remodel? Um, Because whatever your goal is, is going to dictate how you invest your money. And then also, what's your time horizon, right? Like, is it a short-term or a long-term goal? You know, saving towards retirement, the first kind of 30 years of your working life, that's a long-term goal. But also what people don't realize is getting the money to last the rest of your life is also a long-term goal. Your retirement's going to be somewhere between 20 to 30 years, depending on how long you live. Planning to purchase a house in the next two years, that's a short-term goal, right? So like you want to balance the risk of your investments to your goal. Like you don't want to be too risky if you have a short-term goal. And then if you have a long-term goal, you probably want to be really risky. So it should you set up investments that are in different accounts if your goals are different for different pots of money? Uh, yeah, you could do that in a way. I mean, sometimes it kind of happens naturally though, right? Because if we have retirement accounts that are specifically meant for retirement, so that's more your long-term money. Um, and then if you want to save to buy a house, it's probably more ideal to do it in a savings account or a brokerage account. I think this is really important. It, and just because when you're starting reviewing your investments or planning for your investments, if you haven't sat down and, and really laid out those goals in that time horizon, it makes it really difficult to review your investments or understand them. I think that just this point is super important for people to understand. Yeah. One other example of that we did recently, um, we worked with a client that um, their long-term care rates, I don't know if a lot of people, other people have noticed this, but wrong, the long-term care companies are raising their rates um, with policies, and they're getting to the point where they're unaffordable. Um, and so what we did was 
open up another account with a separate pot of money that they would be contributing to it ongoing, but we earmarked that for 25 plus years. And so that has a different time horizon than the rest of their retirement and their short-term goals and, and different investment accounts. So like what you did is maybe say their premium was going to be $5,000 a month or a year. Or a year so yep. you have them put $5,000 into an account. Exactly. And then you can make that pot of money a lot more risky because that's not for the next 25 plus years that they would utilize it. That's a really good strategy. All right. So let's talk about um, how we should think about risk tolerance. So after you've done um, going over your investment objectives, there's also a few things about risk tolerance that you should consider. Um, one is your resources. And when we talk about resources, it means you know the distribution also of the other assets that you own. So looking at and organizing your balance sheet to see what other investments, cash um, that you do own, other property that you own that could potentially um, have value, and understanding those resources uh, when we're looking at your investment strategy. Another one is going to be your earning capacity. So how much can you actually you know, what what is your potential of earnings going forward? Is there room for growth? Are you going to continue to grow in your career and your income? Because that can change your risk tolerance, right? If we know we're going to be able to contribute more or pay down more debt or save more money because of the earnings potential that you're eventually going to have, we can be more risky in that short term to helping you achieve those goals. Also, philosophy. So are you, when you ask yourself this question, are you a risk taker or are you more conservative? You know, that does play a role in this decision when you're reviewing your investments or making changes. And then also another kind of example is, are you a business owner or are you an employee? How that kind of can affect your income? Is it variable or is it fixed? And, you know, you have to ask yourself that question when you're you know, looking at your your risk tolerance as well. And then just stage of life, like we've talked about whether if it's, you know, you're starting out, and you can be more risky because of that, you have higher earnings capacity, um, or you're reaching retirement or in retirement, asking yourself, you know, again, are, are you a risk taker? Are you more conservative, but relating that also to the stage of life, and correlating that to your tolerance. So how do you take these and actually apply them. So if you're thinking about the things that you went over and you're able for yourself to answer those questions, how do you actually apply them to your investment account? So again, starting with the investment objectives is going to be first. Asking yourself that risk tolerance question is going to be second. And you can apply them because as you answer these questions, it's going to kind of paint a picture of how much risk you should be taking or should not be taking. So those planning steps and answering those questions is going to allow you to formulate the, your feelings, that, that behavior around selecting your, your, your risk tolerance. And I think that that you know, is very important as well as your investment objectives of formulating a good strategy. Yeah, and I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where people don't understand really the a role that a financial planner actually helps someone get through. Right, yeah. So like that's what I was going to say is, you know, when you're building out a financial plan or even like just a basic retirement plan with income and cash flow, then you could see how much, you know, risk you need to take with your portfolio. So we were talking about, you know, these 401k millionaires a couple minutes ago. Well, uh, someone with $2 million in their 401k, but we're projecting they're going to spend, you know, 1.7 or 1.8 of it in retirement, you know, they might need to be a little bit more conservative in their investments. But someone who's kind of hit that next level of 401k wealth, be it like three, four, five million, 
you know, and we're projecting they're only going to spend 1.7 of that, then they could be really aggressive with that, with that other chunk of money and grow that for future inheritance for, the, for their kids or grandkids. So having a plan and, and knowing that and knowing your numbers is extremely important. And also it creates the awareness. I think awareness is like such a big factor. Y- yes, you might know that the exact answer to all of these factors you can consider, but just creating awareness around your risk tolerance, using some of these factors to ask yourself these questions will again help you kind of formulate and determine. I um, mean, I do agree with you, Brent, like financial advisors help frame this in a little bit easier of a process. I do believe that, but you know, this is where you guys can get a good start. Absolutely. I think the psychology behind it and helping you work through some of those challenges is what really leads to some of that financial success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, should we, how should people analyze their investment performance? This is a tricky question, so I'm going to try my best to explain it. But the first thing you should do is think about, hey, what am I actually invested in? Am I invested in common stocks? Well, the first thing you should think about if you're invested in common stocks, you know, Apple, Best Buy, Pfizer, Google, is your returns going to be dictated on how well those companies you own do? Um, but if you know your index, you're owning the whole market, your returns are going to be based on how well the market does. So if you know you fire up the TV, you see S&P 500 up, is up 2% today. Most likely the, the stock fund you own is probably up 2% today if it's an index-based fund. The next thing you have to consider is if you have stocks, you probably have some bonds in your account and how are the bonds doing? And those two together will dictate your performance level. And then finally, you could either break it down into another subcategory and look at, okay, do I have international stocks? Well, how well did those do? How well did emerging stocks do? And you just want to make sure that your portfolio is staying in line with those different asset classes and you're getting the returns they're offering. How would somebody really know, though, that their rate of return is, is in line with where it should be, um, even based on the allocations that someone has? So that, that's tough. And I mean, this is what I find a lot of people struggle with is understanding what a good rate of return is. Um, you know, they see, oh, the S&P 500 is up 30%. Um, why isn't my portfolio up 30%? Well, it's because, you know, you're in a globally diversified portfolio, but, you know, 15% is pretty good. Like, and you did that with a lot less risk than the market's offering currently. So it, it's tough and it's one of those things why for a lot of people they could at least benefit from conversations with an, a, a financial planner because the financial planner could help explain the different performances to them. And I feel like the challenge that people would have too if they're doing it on their own, it's almost like you know if one of those funds or positions inside your 401k or your portfolio is not performing or hurting it, it could lag in all of the returns. And a person could think, well, you know, I made 8% this year. But the S&Ps, and them not knowing what the S&P did, well, you could think, oh, I'm doing good. I made 8%. Well, compared to what, though? Right. You know, should you be up 15 or 18? And why aren't you making that much? Is it fees? Is it you have a couple bad allocations in there? You're using a couple bad funds you may not know. I mean, there's so many factors there. And I think it's just important in what I'm hearing you guys say, too, is you have to do that research, right? You have to understand first what you're actually invested in. And then you also have to find out what is that benchmark for what you're investing in. So without those two things, and you, you can't answer those two questions, you're going to have a really hard time analyzing your performance. So even for the do-it-yourselfers, those two questions have to be answered before you can even start to look at what your performance is benchmarked to. 
Yeah, and saying to yourself, you know, I'm just trying to make as much money as possible every year. I mean, that's that's not a good strategy. That's not a good benchmark. And that's, you know, no way to go about managing your portfolio. You should have a goal rate of return in mind, and you should be trying to hit it on a, you know, five-year, 10-year average. And most likely, you probably don't even understand your risk. Yeah, exactly. And I think one advantage that advisors have um, is that the software and technology that we're able to utilize can maximize efficiency within the portfolio and also create you know strategies that are going to be able to efficiently perform with not only your your portfolio but within your financial plan yeah absolutely i don't think um you know our clients or you know prospective clients people listening to the show understand how much great software there is in the advice investment advisory industry right now that it literally i want to change software every two years just so i'm like oh there's something new coming out it's really cool let's get that for the clients um, it's hard. There's a lot of great stuff though. Yeah, there is. I agree. And it's just, it's not out there for the public to utilize, you know, not at all. Um, when reviewing a performance report, what are the most important numbers to look at? Don't look at it every day. I'll just start with that. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you're looking at performance, you know, you definitely want to use a di- couple different periods and the common ones that we use, um, are quarterly, uh, we also use year to date, the inception return. So how much have you earned since you started investing? Those are all really important, right? Quarterly is going to give you that you know monthly kind of look back, that three month monthly look back, year to date, so you can again compare it to your benchmarks. And it's always important to understand inception, how much you've made since you've started, right? So those are three really good periods um, when you're reviewing performance to be looking at. There's also percentage return and dollar gained. And the difference between them is, you know, your percentage return is actually allowing you to compare it to that benchmark. You can see how much percentage your, you know, portfolio has grown, let's say five or 6% year to date, and use that as that benchmark to, to gauge how well you've done. And then also looking at um, when you're looking at your performance report, dollars gained. So actually how much money you make. We like to see that. We like to see if we invested, you know, $10,000, it's now $12,000. We made $2,000. So you can now even put a dollar figure to your performance um, and to, for you to be able to analyze that a little bit deeper. Can any of these three factors that you just went over um, help somebody determine if there was a problem within their portfolio? Yes, the percentage return is going to be the best gauge um, in that because you're able, um, without taking you know just your specific account and that dollar amount, your that percentage return is going to allow you to compare it to your benchmark once you found that out. So that's the one you're going to look at to see if there's an issue, and it's going to show you if you have a red flag or not. Now, if you're benchmarking it over just a quarter, probably not a long enough time horizon to identify a problem. Probably not. Uh, that's a good point. Um, you know, you're probably looking at a year to date, one year. I'd say even the longer you go back, the better. Um, but yeah, monthly returns or even quarterly is probably a little bit too soon. Again, we don't want to be making reactive changes. We want to be more proactive and making sure we're hitting our benchmarks. But yeah, not daily, probably not quarterly to to generate a change. You what you want is a ten year average of mid to high single digit returns. So you want six and above, and you want it on an average basis. If you get that, those are great investment returns. You know, the people who want, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15%, 20% per year on average, that's a pipe dream. That's not happening. And why is that? It's the best managers in the world can't even do it. The, you know, hedge fund managers who are billionaires, you know, the ones you hear about who are buying sports teams, they're the ones who are doing it and they're the best in the world and they're the billionaires for a reason. 
Yeah. Markets are efficient, right? Exactly. Uh, if you're not happy with your performance or don't know what it is, what should you then do? You should make some changes, right? So there's a couple of things you could do. You could adjust your positions. So if you feel like you can't sleep at night, probably need a little bit less stock than you have. Um, that means you're scared. If you're finding that you, you got you know a little FOMO or you're not making enough money, well, the flip side is and you got to have a little bit more stock, but then you have to be okay with the ups and downs of the market. We mentioned it a few minutes ago, but if you're paying high fund fees, um, paying, your fees are too high going to the investment manager, then switching out some funds to lower fee versions of those funds could help a lot. I mean, one company, I don't want to call them by name, but um you know they go by american um <laughs> do they end with funds <laughs> they do end with funds uh they're notorious for having multiple classes of funds and the funds that i see most of our clients come to us with are the high fee version all you have to do is work with an advisor like us and we could get you the lowest fee version of those same funds um, it's really easy you know you just swap them out so what that basically means is that that fund let's call it fund a comes in five different versions of the same exact fund and all of those versions have different fees on them and there's one of those versions that has a very low fee and more than likely if you're listening to this show you don't have that very low fee i haven't seen anyone in my career who's came to me with the low fee fine <laughs> and that one has the best performance i don't think i have either i was thinking of this like have i ever seen that low fee one I'm like, who's actually using that fund? Yeah. The, the only ones that have them is the people that we've switched them to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then lastly, um, you know, reach out to an advisor. You get someone to talk to you. Get, get a second set of eyes on your account. Um, let them help you. I mean, you don't go to the dentist and you don't diagnose your own dental problems. You go to the dentist. If you're not feeling good, you're not diagnosing it yourself. Well, maybe you are doing some Google searching. But maybe WebMD's diagnosing you. Yeah, they're, they're telling you, but you're probably calling the doctor. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be reaching out to an advisor to get a second set of eyes on, on your portfolio and be like, hey, am I doing okay? You know, can I get a check-in? Nothing wrong with that. So talk to an advisor. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it's hard to always identify if there's a problem, um, but if you know and you're uncertain about it, Definitely reach out to an advisor and have them do an overview of it because chances are you're not paying for the cheapest thing. There's probably something cheaper out there. Fees do add up. All right, so let's get into the last part of the show. Let's go over our RPA recommends. Um, Matt, what do you have for us today? All right, so um, you know we had a listener and a client in the office about two weeks ago, and he had a recommends for us, and I, I won't mention him by name. But it was a Netflix show called Outer Banks, and you know he mentioned that I should watch it and Josh should watch it. I don't think Josh has watched it yet. No, I've just been a little busy, but I, I plan to. It's yeah. definitely in the queue. So I watched it. It's a great show. moves at an incredible pace. I'm only through season one, so I have to get to season two. But it's just one of those bingeable shows where you could probably finish in a day if you really wanted to. It's a, kind of like a teenage show, but um, with like a, a treasure hunt in it. Really cool, really unique. I, I, I liked it a lot, so... So great recommends. Um, thank you. We, um, to, to go, I guess, to stay on TV shows, uh, we just finished Yellowstone. I know that's been out for a while. I think there's a new one coming out. And uh, so that's why I haven't watched Outer Banks yet. But like I said, that's queued up. Um, but we finished Yellowstone, more of a, like a modern day cowboy and Indian story. 
Um, it's like based in Montana. Uh, pretty good. Um, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd recommend it um, if you like that style or like modern day Western. Kevin Costner's in it. Um, I think he even like directs it or produces it, and it's on uh, on Peacock. So another just real quick recommends that I have too. Uh, recently used some more of my credit card points. So remember, if you've been doing a lot of spending, review those credit card points. Don't let them go to waste. A good way to get free money. So just another shout out to that. A good time of year to start looking at how many you've accumulated. Make sure you're reviewing them, earning them, and using them. Great recommend. I also have one. Uh, we had some work done to our house. I like to try to keep things as clean as possible. So did some research and we found a Ryobi a power washer. And so I'm a, a dad outside power washing his outside <laughs> front yard, backyard. If you come by, drive by my house, you might see me out there power washing. But great. It works great. Cleans everything been having a really good time just power washing things down and uh i do highly recommend it great quality should we go drive by Vern's house and see if he's actually using his power washer this weekend yeah that or i was gonna ask him to bring his power washer to my house so i could borrow it and not buy one myself yeah that's a good idea <laughs> that's go. where that's where it's I, at. I never recommend people spending money so i'll drive it down to you or bring it to the office and bring it home. All right, so as advisors, uh, we always love helping people. That's why we do it. We always hope this show is helpful and gives you some good tips. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary uh, consultation. You can also download our ebook and go to our website. Or if you'd like to our show notes, um, please also go to retirementplanplaybook.com. Uh, great having you as listeners. Appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next show. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.